Hello and welcome back to Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. We're in a busy political period at the moment. As the ANC positions itself for a policy conference or policy fight this week, gets us past the KZN Provincial Conference where an entirely new leadership was elected and prepares us for a national elective conference at the end of the year when a new leader will be elected or a Soro Ramaphosa will be re-elected. The period ahead of any ANC election or decision-making conference, if you haven't already noticed, is always tense. And boy, is it tense now. Load shedding hasn't helped and an almost complete absence of leadership doesn't help either. The ANC conference in KZN ended with at least one resolution demanding that President Ramaphosa's hard-fought step-aside rule, when you've been charged with a crime you can't hold office or stand for one, be set aside entirely. That's because the provincial party is preparing to back former health ministers William Kieser instead of Ramaphosa for the leadership in December. But my guest today had a different sort of step-aside in mind on Sunday and his always wonderful column in reports. Tim Duplessis is the best of us South African journalists, a former editor, if I'm not mistaken, Tim, of Field Report and even The Citizen. Yeah, for my sins. Now, like most of <laughs> us, he writes, he, he, writes, he writes columns. The difference between me and Tim, I suspect, is that I get right to ask because I'm really good at meeting deadlines. He gets asked because he's very smart. Um, Tim, thanks for being with me today. It's a pleasure, Peter. This is the step aside you were talking about in your column or writing about in your column on Sunday. And I don't think for the first time, actually, if I remember correctly, is whether the ANC will in fact step aside if it loses the 2024 election. Are you really worried they wouldn't? Yeah. Peter, the point of my column was is everybody's talking about two things, you know, the demise of the ANC and the way that, you know, the party is dying a slow death. People talk about that. It's being accepted as sort of general fact now. We don't know whether this will surely happen or not. And then the second thing that lots of people talk about is, you know, but what can replace them? They talk about coalitions, you know, all manner of things are being discussed. But nobody asks the question, what will the ANC as a party, how will they respond? Should they be comprehensively beaten in the 2024 election? And remember, it will be a big one if they lose power, because if they lose power on the national level, but they will almost most certainly also lose power in the provincial level. And the party will go into a space where they've never been before. I mean, we know the ANC, you know, as far as I can say, they have basically two modes. The one is liberation struggle and the other one is ruling party. They have no, there's no institutional memory, no sort of deep-seated knowledge in the party of what it is like to lose an election and then go into opposition, be a loyal parliamentary opposition and, you know, regain yourself and refine, redefine your policies and find new leaders and then come back five years later and try to regain the power. They have no knowledge of that. And I have a feeling, you know, I, I've, I've written in the column, I said, you know, what we've seen about the ANC, especially in the recent years, there's an air of entitlement about it. I mean, we are the party that liberated South Africa. We are the party that brought democracy to South Africa. You know, we are entitled to certain things. You even read in the newspapers criticism of opposition parties who are playing all manner of 
coalition games. They say, you know, why are these people making plans to unseat the ANC? And thereby saying in a manner, you know, you dare not unseat us. You know, we are too big to fail. We are destined to rule South Africa forever and ever. You, you, say, you say in the face of an overwhelming loss, of an overwhelming defeat. What if it, because uh, um, you, you talk about it a little in your column, what if it wasn't overwhelming? What if it was a narrow, you know, defeat? Um, that surely would be more dangerous than, yeah. a, than, a, than, a, than, an, than a big one. You know, I spoke to Peter Dutue, the assistant editor of News24 about this, and he says if there's a big victory, if it's a clean sweep, you know, against the ANC. Not a clean sweep, but a whitewash almost, and they are com- yeah. comprehensively beaten. Then they will have no cho- choice to just to vacate power. But if there's a narrow victory, there's a chance that they will hold on. And as we've seen, or cling on, as we've seen in recent times, not on the national level, not even in the in a province. I mean, they 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 always there's always a lot of disruption and toy toying. It's almost as if they're reverting to type, you know. We're back on Trafalgar Square protesting against the government 12,000 kilometers away. Uh, there's always, they don't willy-nilly accept their fate and regroup on the opposition benches. There's disruption and toy-toying and demands, and they, you know, try and all manner delay the handover of power. So that's the thing. I think that is something that we must, you know, accept that that will happen. I also spoke to Yan Yan Yuber, who might also be quite well known to the listeners of your podcast, also an Afrikaans political journalist. He wrote a book about um, um, coalition the politics in yeah. 2019. Yeah. Absolutely. He's also an astute observer of the political scene in the country. And Yan Yan says that, you know, if you, they always make a lot of noise, you know, once they, in the face of defeat, if they lose an election, a city council or a metro uh, or a province, as we've seen in the Western Cape, when was it? 2009. But in the end, they knuckle under, you know, and they accept the thing and they they then basically disappear because they don't know what it is like to be an opposition party in a constitutional democracy. So he's not so concerned about this whole thing, but I think we must think about it. And what triggered me, I have written about this before, but you know what it is like with column writing. You yeah, write stuff yeah. and you say, but I can't write this again. I've done it before. And then I noticed then towards the end of June, Justice Malala wrote the column in Business Day and saying basically that was, you know, the, every, the ANC, and I'm quoting Justice or the headline on the column, he said, the ANC has stolen everything. Where the only thing that's still left to steal for them is an election. And then he wants about exactly the same thing. Yeah. So that's where I'm coming from with this column. And I, you know, I'm trying very hard not to be alarmist about this whole thing. But yeah. there's I just think, you know, with the ANC, I'm sorry to say this, you know, but you must always plan for the worst and hope for the best. And I'm desperately hoping for the best, but that doesn't mean my hopes are going to be realized. One of the things, one of the examples you bring to bear on your thinking is the way uh, Tabo and Becky. Uh, and one doesn't know whether this was the ANC or whether it was just him. Um, uh, well, the way Tabo Mbeki buried the report that he had done for him by two senior South African judges into the result of the, I, uh, yeah. what is it, the 2000 referendum in Zimbabwe? 2002, the 2002 election. The 2000 referendum, uh, Mugabe lost fair and square, 55 That's to 45. Right. Yeah. He was rejected. Yeah. He wanted to change the constitution to, you know, give himself more power. 
and to, you know, do the, the land invasions. And he, he lost that referendum, you know. And I mean, in most countries, if you lose a referendum, in most democracies, if, if a government lose, loses a referendum... You, re you resign. You resign. And, this, and instead of, you know, telling him, look, your people have rejected your fundamental proposals and ideas, you must go, they shadowed, they sort of held, held a hand over him. But that was okay because he didn't lose an election. And, but then two years later, he did lo didn't lose the election. The election was booked. It was stolen. Yeah. I mean, the observer missions from all over the world saw that. And Judge Dijon Musaneke and Judge Sisi Kampepe, two highly respected South African judges, Sente Bayembeki, saw that, came back, gave him a report in which they said this election was not free and fair. And he decided to just ignore it and sort of kept that report under lock and key. And he took the Mail and Guardian the best of six years, you know, with court battles that they, lonely court battles that they fought. And eventually in 2014, the report was re revealed. And that's, you know, where it became official. But it's not only in Becky, Peter. I think the ANC was behind him in that. The ANC was not behind him with his AIDS policies, and that's why he had to abandon them. If they disliked what he was doing in Zimbabwe, they would have told him so. And that's what worries me, you know. Uh, it's something that you, you know, I know it's it's maybe not a, a, a very apt uh, comparison to make, to make, but they say Churchill was asked, you know, why were you the only one who saw through, uh, through uh, Adolf Hitler? And then Churchill said, you know, it's very easy. I read everything and listened to everything they said, and I believed them. You know, sometimes, you, you, you know, pe your people's previous actions and the stuff they write, you must, be, you must at some point say, but, you know, we cannot say, ah, this will never happen. They just talk and talk and talk. It's just talk. This will never happen. At some point, you must say, but if they say that, then there's a possibility that this will happen. Well, so you get to the point where, where the ANC, let's say, gets, I don't know, 46% of the vote, 45% um, of the vote. Um, it doesn't have to um, behave unconstitutionally because it can reach out to an opposition party and, and, uh, and, and form a coalition. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. You know, looking at things right now, the natural coalition partner would be the EFF. Yeah. The way from the way I yeah. see it, you know, it may be different. I don't yeah. know. There's a rational choice for them is to reach out to the DA. Whether he will do that, I really don't know. But even if he goes in with an opposition party into a coalition, because he need, he will need them. The ANC will need an opposition party or another party to stay in power. They will have to make fundamental sacrifices. Mm. Can you imagine what sacrifices the EFF will demand from the ANC? Yes. You know, as a precondition to go into. And, you know, even if they go for the DA, the DA are going to say card of deployment must go. Yeah. All the, you know, all the racial legislation, DE and affirmative action and all these things must go. Mm. So it's, I mean, that's, that's a kind of an, a, a workable something, a solution or that's quite possible, but it's just going to be difficult but I just worry that how the ANC as a party will respond because they've been talking about banging on about this unity thing. Mm. But, you know, they cannot find a unifying cause. They cannot unify behind one idea. Uh, and if they, if, you, if they can be unified around the idea that, you know, we've earned the divine right to, to run this country forever and ever, 
and they are unified behind them. Yeah. That's a possibility that I worry about. So what 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 are the um first of all just come let's just talk about the IEC a little bit. Um uh, you know, the, the IEC is kind of worrying in a way because while it's conducted pretty good elections, the fact is that its officials yeah. are members of a union affiliated to the ANC. Um, That's right. And they would surely have a political um, leaning yeah. one way or another if the result were, you know, looking a bit, a bit iffy nationally. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know all the all the members of the commission all that well i know of janet love you know a died in the wool anc activist but the commission is generally i mean those commissioners haven't done anything wrong but the quality of the elections that the iec you know have delivered over the years has not gone up especially in recent times they've gone down i mean look at the debacle last year with the election date and, you know, should certain parties be included or excluded? Mm. I don't know if you remember yeah. that, you know, it went to the courts. So in, in the end, the Constitutional Court had to make a decision to tell them what was the right thing to do. That's something that we should worry about. Well, even 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 today, we have the IEC not helping out really very much uh, on with, with fixing the Constitution to yeah. uh, interline yes. with, the, with the court mandate. That we need to allow. Well, that's that's basically neglect from Parliament. You know, that's the ANC. That's the a parliamentary ANC. That's not doing what the court tell tell them to do. I understand, but but the IEC has it basically made it impossible now for Parliament because they've yeah. said that you know they would yeah. need X amount of time if to if to to create a, a political constituencies. You know what? In justice, in his column, the column that inspired me to write what I wrote on Sunday. Mm. Um, what he what he said what he what worries me about the, is the thing you know the RET he said you know this cabal that would be looking at stealing the election in 2024 according to justice uh, mm. it's the RET faction now you you can dismiss the RET faction if it was Isma Khashoggi and Karl Neos and Jacob Zuma but the events mm. over the weekend have shown us you cannot dismiss dismiss mm. them so. Surely, you know, if Zweli Mukise wants to have a go at the presidency, he will have to. That's the only faction that he must work with. Yeah. And and uh, yeah. Lindiwe Susuli is already there, and uh, and Kosozanat Laminizuma yeah. is already there. What worries me about those people? I'm not so sure about Zweli. He's never given any indication in this respect. But Mrs. Susulu is open about the fact that she does not like the constitution and the courts. They don't, you know, I mean, the rule of law is not something that, that's, that they are comfortable with. What did Mr. Sibunisu Duma, you know, the newly elected leader in, what was his first utterance? The first two sort of, you know, significant statements that he made. The first one was, the step aside rumors go. The second one was, I have a problem with our judiciary and the judges and the legal system. Yeah. You see, and for us, if we if we if the ANC loses power, you know whether they lose it by whatever means. If they decide, look, you know, we are going to try and see if we cannot hold on here. Then the courts will be crucial, and you, you know the court the the people who must enforce the rulings of the courts and the IEC uh, are civil servants who are in working in a highly policeman, maybe defence force people, maybe intelligence people. 
But it's civil servants who work in a highly politicized civil service. Who would have to enforce it. Yeah, that argument doesn't only go for the for the IEC. It also goes for the whole of the civil service. But you make the, you, you make the point, you know, you, you, you say, and I'm sorry, my, my um, translation might not be uh, very good, but basically um, uh, everybody agrees, you know, the uh, civil society and the business and the opposition parties and the churches Mm. Uh, in the winter of 2024, would have to come out onto the streets if the ANC tries to hold on to power despite, uh, despite a defeat. What, why would we wait until then to be ready for it if it's a real possibility? I mean, if you were um, in the opposition now, the DA, uh, Freedom Front Plus, uh, Action SA, UDM, IFP, what, surely there's something that they could do now to prepare themselves. Maybe the Discourse changes. Maybe, maybe yeah. there are actual actual things that we can do as a society to prevent them. Just assuming yeah. that they're going to win. It's very difficult to to predict the future, the political future in this country, especially with the ANC, the ANC, you know, as the ruling party. Things might change. I don't know when they're having this. Are they still the ANC? Still going to have a policy conference sometime, anytime soon? It was supposed to be this week. That's right, yeah. So things may start to change there. We may see, you know, some indications. Then crucial will be the elective conference in December. You know, Ramaphosa, for all his faults, you know, he's a constitutionalist. But who is, you know, standing by his side? I have no idea. I know about Ronald Lamola, but who else is his staunch supporters? Do you think Mr. Gwedi Mantashi is a staunch constitutionalist? <laughs> no. I don't know. That's the worrying thing, you know. If they manage to, to ask Ramaphosa in December, and he's being replaced by, I don't know who, maybe it's really Mukizi, I really don't know. I worry about, you know, a, a, a new cadre of ANC leaders coming to the fore, taking control, who, you know, don't like the constitution. And don't like the idea of the rule of law. They want the ruling party to rule, not the yeah. law. Not you know. They want parliamentary sovereignty. Does the ANC, at any stage here, under under all the pressures that it is under, does it split? Um, you know, if there's a if there is a, a a movement against a fair election result that doesn't go its way. Um, you know, is there a is there a split over whether or not to behave? Jeez, I I really don't know. It's really hard to say. You know, I mean, they are obsessed with unity, and you know, it doesn't. They're obsessed about something that doesn't exist, and I cannot see it ever. You know, coming back. But surely there must be a possibility. Maybe if uh, you know a section of people break away, if if they kick out Ramaphosa in. Uh, in December at the conference, uh, and they say we're going to sort of, you know, go back to the old RET positions, you know, nationalize the Reserve Bank, prescribed assets, ra radical economic tr transformation in the real sense, land seizures, whatever it is. Maybe there's a chance that Ramaphosa as a constitutionalist and as one of the, one of the uh, people who brought this constitution into being, who played a key role in our constitution being what it is today, will say, I cannot be part of this, and he will lead a group out of it. But they will fight, you know, over control of the ANC brand. 
That's the big thing, you know. If he can manage to get the non-constitutionalists to leave the party, then it will be good for him. It will free his hands up to do things. But I'm not so sure whether that will happen. Look, their, their politics is extremely difficult to predict. You're a student of history. I mean, and you often quote, the, you know, Jan Smut saying South Africa is a place where neither the best nor worst ever happens. I mean, have we been here before in some form? We, we, if, you, if you read our history, we are a series of crises. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yet, the, and, and Smut's exact words was, and yet the worst, like the best, never happens. I mean, I don't think he used the series of crises expression, but that's the, his exact words, yet the worst, like the best, well, the best never happened. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. You know, I mean, I, 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 was, I remember the 80s very vividly because I was a political correspondent at the time. And I remember, you know, talking to the foreign journalists who were based in South Africa. They were here in their thousands. And you know, some of them, were, you know, got to know South Africa and the politics very well. And they, they would, some of them would say, you know, I cannot see this ever being, you know, resolved. The, the central political question in your country, which is apartheid, and the fact that black people are excluded from the vote and there's terrible repression and, you know, violation of human rights. I cannot see this ending. I speak to ANC people in Lusaka and they say, we are going to fight until the bitter, bitter end. And I speak to the National Party leaders and the securocrats and they tell me there's no way that they are just going to take over here like in Zimbabwe. We cannot see this. This thing is going into a sort of a racial conflagration. And yet that never happened, you know. Also in 93, when Rani was assassinated, we came pretty close to, you know, a terrible situation. But then there was wise leaders, leaders with stature who could stand up and, you know, say this is, you know, this will not happen. This is the way we are going to handle this crisis. I worry about stuff like that. You know, I, you, you can. It's almost palpable. Not so much in the air, but if you read and listen, read it, read the media, listen to the conversations. You know what people talk about. People are deeply worried about the future of the country. I don't know if you agree with me. Very much so. Almost more than ever before. I think that it's, you know, what's up for grabs just seems to be so, so final that this is a last, that this is a last chance. Yeah. This, um, you know, yeah. and this is one of the reasons that people are so disappointed with Sula Ramaphosa because he had a shot at reform mm. and he, he is mm. a hesitant reformer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You cannot be like that. Well, you know, I mean, he's the way he would look at the political terrain around him is that he can't. Um, yeah. For for the moment, for instance, he's supposed to be one negotiating a a new social consensus. Mm. Um, and yesterday, in front of this large crowd in Durban, he insisted that that is exactly what was going on. He said, and as he often does when he can't remember how many. Uh, he just said there's a number of meetings and a number of this and a number of that. Um, um, he's also trying to negotiate a um, a new electricity emergency um, build. Uh, yeah. um, all of which is all political. Yeah. Technically, we've got the we've got the thing sorted out. I've heard people who've seen the technical presentation of this plan say it's really good. Um, yeah. But he's got to get through Greta Mantashe. Yeah. Who, as you say, is you know 
not not the, uh, not the most um, dynamic or progressive policy making. He's also got to get through Abraham Patel, yeah. who wants everything to be built locally and, and not yeah. to be able to import anything. And people are saying, look, we can't build capacity while those import uh, restrictions are in place. And Patel, if even to Ramaphosa, would presumably say, well, if I'm going to give up something, I want something in return. So if everything for him is a is a negotiation. And Cyril just doesn't seem to have the clout to put his hand, you know, fist on the table and bang it. It's a bit like it's part of his, it's in, in his personality, in his makeup. You know, if, if uh, and I, I don't want to draw a comparison with F.W. de Klerk, you know, the, he's a controversial figure and I don't want to wade into that. But if, if de Klerk on the eve of the February 2, 1990 speech when he released Mandela and unbanned the AT, if he had gone to all the members of his caucus, because that's his, his power base, you know, the old National Party was like the British Conservative Party in previous times, elected by the parliamentary caucus. Very undemocratic, but that was that was his power base. If he had gone to each and every one of those NAT MPs and asked them, should I release Mr. Mandela tomorrow and unban the ANC, the vast majority would have said no. He didn't even consult his full cabinet. He only consulted certain members. And then, you know, two or three days before the speech, he told the whole cabinet, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And with that one bold step, you know, he just moved the political fundamentals in the in the country into a completely new space. Was there any attempt to stop him between the time he told them and the time? No, the time, the, the only, the time when, you know, the horse, the horse was running down the road, you know, yeah. after having bolted. Having bolted. There was this famous scene, you know, there was this famous scene that described in Patty Waldmeyer's book, Anatomy of a Miracle about the 94 transition, where on the eve before they voted for the 90, the current constitution, Tertius Delport, one who was a conservative minister or deputy minister in his cabinet, got very worked up about the fact that, you know, the clerk and his advisors were inclined towards saying we will support the constitution. There was a strong lobby, but by that time it was way too late. A strong lobby for them to say we must vote against the constitution. And then there was a small rebellion led by, you know, Leon Vessels and Rolf Mayer and probably the late David de Villiers as well who said, well, the party can vote whatever they want. We are going to vote for this thing, for this new. But the point is, by that time, you know, the, the, the clerk moved quickly in 1990 and shortly thereafter as well to consolidate his new base. And there was, by the time these conservative elements in the party woke up, it was way too late. It was just too late. And I cannot understand why Ramaphosa didn't study not only that history, but there are other political reformers that he can study and say, this is what you do. If you come in on a ticket, your majority is probably better than it. F.W. declared one by eight votes in that national party, eight, single digit. And yet he managed to pull this thing through because he moved quickly and he changed the ground, the, the terrain in which they operated fundamentally. And by the time they woke up, it was too late. The new constitution yeah. was delivered, signed and sealed. It's probably also too late for Cyril to, you know, um, change gear. I mean, he is what he, he is what he is. That's wonder. I mean, you know, does one? I suppose is it reasonable even to expect that a that the ANC lets go of 
uh, if it loses an election. I mean, maybe it's just naive to expect a system as inhuman as apartheid to, uh, to end well. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe this is going to be the ending. Maybe the ending is in 2024, not 1994. I hope you're wrong. Me too. <laughs> Tim. Thank you very much for joining. Eh? Thank you, Peter. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, I also enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. And please keep warm and take care. Until then, thank you. <laughs>